Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Comes around and we do a helicopter survey, and all of a sudden, we're, at, we're sitting at like a deer per like five to 10 acres, like a really high density. And our biologist recommends to us that, like, hey, like, y'all need to shoot 100 deer. <laughs> and we're like, oh, oh shit, right? <laughs> okay. And so, like, that's kind of what started, like, that was the first year we started hunting. Welcome to the Whiskey and Whitetail Podcast, episode 99, one short of 100. Yeah. Um, thank you to Waypoint Network for having us. Thank you to our patrons for supporting. If you're new here, welcome. If you're not, thanks for coming back. Today, we have a special guest. We do, we do. We have Andrew from Triple Drop Ranch. He's a part owner, guide, the chief technology officer. Triple Drop Ranch has 10,000 acres of brush country that's owned to a massive herd of whitetail deer that you can go for a professionally guided deer hunt on. Located 70 miles of Gus, you'll like this, Corpus Christi. Hey, that's my birthplace. That's your birthplace. Triple Drop offers two different types of whitetail hunts, and you can find them at their website, tripledropranch.com. So with that being said, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Did I, did I hear that you're from Corpus Christi? Yeah, I was born in Corpus. Uh, my parents uh, were both born and raised in the, around Lake Charles, Louisiana, Um uh, my dad and my mom were living somewhere in between Lake Charles and Houston, and my dad was working offshore, and Corpus was the closest, best hospital, I guess. So that's where I was born. <laughs> oh, well, I was born there, too. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, fourth-generation Corpus Christian. <laughs> nice. So. Very cool. Oh, cool. So we wanted to ask about the history of the ranch. So I'd, where did the name Triple Drop come from? So, actually, that's a— the ranch has a very, I guess you can say, interesting story, but the triple drop part of it came from, it was basically the first trophy whitetail that we ever saw on the ranch back in 2007 was a, a buck with three drop times. Nice. And so it was like before that year came out, like, so it was basically a, it was a mainframe nine with three drops with one of the drops being like. I think it measured that like nine inches long. Wow. And the, Jesus. Yeah. But the deer overall scored 168. But just to put that in context, the second largest deer we'd ever seen at that point was like in the 130s. Wow. Oh, so, wow. so like it was just, it was just like, it was just like it came out, it was just like came out of nowhere. Like we'd never seen anything quite like that before. And it was kind of, we started to realize, man, like we might have something here. Like, you know, maybe this, like, you know, we might have some whitetail here. So that's that kind of where, like, that's kind of where, like, whenever we, 10 years later, back in, actually longer than that, I think back in 2019 is when we finally decided to give the ranch, like, an actual name, or at least the hunting operation part of it, an actual name, and 
when we were trying to think back on like what to name it, we're like, well, we got to kind of name it after what started it, which was that buck with three drop tines. That's wild. Do you have pictures of it? Uh, I do have pictures of it. They're very terrible and like they're <laughs> grainy. And, but I mean, we, we ended up shooting him, so we have a mountain too. So I've got a good picture of that. But oh, very cool. Yeah, you, it's funny. You think you, I should probably, I don't think I've posted him like a picture or a video of that deer since like last time I posted, I probably had like four or 5,000 followers. So it's been a while. You should post it and give the story. I was to say, I bet most people don't even know the story. Now I think I haven't really thought about that in a while, but that's a good point. Might have to refresh people on the story. You should, because I find it fascinating. The first question I wrote down, (laughs) is this a natural herd that's out there? Uh, Yes, it's the, it is the uh, 100% native herd that was there when we bought it. And it's been there for, it's, it's the same herd. Like, you know, we don't have any introduced genetics, nothing like that. Just, we just try to manage it the best, best we can. You have a lot of the native species of brush and uh, plant life out there. Do you, do you guys plant other things? It's all the, it's all native forage. We do have plans to like, you know, we want to start doing food plots and stuff like that, but we haven't done it yet. It's always a little tricky. It's been, we've been discouraged just because it's been so dry and droughty recently that like, it just feels like we'll plant stuff and it won't rain. Yeah. But it's definitely a goal of ours. It's something we'll, as, as far as our, I'm sorry, as far as our management goes, like, you know, we want to start implementing food plots and expanding our supplemental feed program that we find, that we started this past year. Did you guys see a, I guess, what kind of impact did that, the, uh, the bad winter storm that, that was down there a few years ago, a couple, I don't know how long ago that was. seems like forever ago. Yeah. That was I longer think it was than you think ago, but it, was last year? it wasn't a lot. Uh, I don't remember. I I think it was two years ago. Yeah. (laughs) The the short answer is the, we didn't see any type of impact on our deer overall. It didn't really get, I mean, it got to the, maybe I think 19 degrees was the low for us. Okay. Which is like, it's cold, but like nothing like crazy. Like we didn't like see animal die offs or anything. Okay. The, The people I heard who had real issues were people with exotics. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of the black buck and stuff like that, they just, they did not handle it well. And right. we don't have any exotics. Our biggest issue was, is we had um, a lot of our uh, water lines busted. Oh, wow. Okay. Obviously we're not, we're not built for that kind of weather. Right. Yeah, of course. So we had a couple of, wa- we actually water lines and we had one uh, surface pump, like quarter inch steel just crack which was pretty crazy wow like you know again we're just like you know the the thing was just sitting on like you know we're just not we're not used to that we're not built or we're not built for sustained weather at that temperature yeah that's why overall it wasn't it wasn't a huge like i don't even think we got any snow like you know i mean we just we saw some like freezing and stuff but it wasn't like uh it was a lot worse for like northern and central texas for sure Gotcha. What's the the average temperature out there in the summer? In the summer, I've been I've been out there where like my truck like thermometer will like read like in the one twenties. Cool. But <clears throat> like obviously that's like it's not actually one twenty, but like that's just like baking in the heat. But like I'd say in I'd say during the summer like we see hundred degree weather fairly. That's that's what you expect to see. Like if it's not a hundred degrees, like you're kind of like, what's going on? Like yeah, it's pretty but, interesting with that like, with with the deer herd because in most places the 
bigger the deer, the cooler the weather is usually. So when you get down, like for us in the coastal South Carolina, our deer are tiny. Yeah. So to see these huge bucks out there in that heat, it's just kind of interesting. Well, what's, what's always, I always find this interesting, these conversations I have with people, especially on social media, is, is like, especially if I ask them, like, how old do these, who do they think these deer are? Like, I'll post what I know is like a seven and a half year old deer, and they'll be like two and a half, three and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want like, you to do it. The, yeah, like the bodies on our deer just are not like impressive. Like I can count the amount of like two, I've maybe I can count the number of 200 plus pound deer I've seen on like one hand, like in my whole life out there. Yeah. Like even the biggest of the biggest, like if you see a 175 pound buck, like that is a, that is a tank of a deer. Yeah. But like, that's like a fawn for like y'all, some, like some of these like Northern states. So they're definitely like, I think their antlers make them look bigger than they really are, but they're very actually not very big animals. Like they're, they're very well adapted for their surroundings, I guess is what I'll say. It's just the genetics they have to grow those massive racks. What's some uh, good stories you have from hunters that have come out there? So it's actually not deer hunting, but like we've had, we've done before we've had groups down before and they want to do like a hog hunt. Oh, cool. And so like, you know, you have like these big, like, you know, guys who you think like, you know, they're, they're acting pretty tough. Right. And, huh. you know, we're driving around, we have these dogs that like they're sitting on the hoods of the truck and like you drive around and once these dogs get a whiff of it, they take off into the brush and they, they chase down these hogs. Yep. And then once the, once these chasers, basically, once they get the dog to hurt, turn or the hog to turn around and fight, then we stop and we, we bring out the pit bulls and the pit bulls go in and they grab these, these, these hogs by the ears and they pull them down or whatever and so then like you know it's like all right you hand the guy the knife and it's like hey like you know go stab it right it's like the amount of people i've seen like talk a pretty big game and then just totally like <laughs> like i'm good like you know is it's it's surprising but also i'm never surprised either if that makes any sense but going towards the crazy story side this one guy like absolute like nut job like you're supposed to go in and like, you know, go in like in between the shoulder, like in the heart, right? This guy jumps on its back and just starts stabbing it straight in the back. Just like, Oof. just going, going like, like hitting its spine and like, oh geez, just total like barbarian. It was just. At that point, crazy. at that point, you're in, he's endangering himself, the dogs. Yeah. That's just not smart. Yeah, no, it was totally like everyone was like, whoa, like everyone was trying to calm him down. But that guy went on, like he like turned on like in the, like you, you could tell he wasn't hearing anything. Like he went on a total like adrenaline rush. Like, oh man, was it Jeffrey Dahmer? Like... <laughs> no, it was not. But okay. Anyway, so that's probably like if I. There's really actually not too many super interesting stories, but that's the one that kind of comes to mind when I think of crazy stories out there. We get asked a lot about the hog hunt stuff, and I'm like, yeah, you get those catching bay dogs out there, and you start running around, and and the way you do it, like you can't just go shoot it because then the dogs there and and. It's kind of like an underground world that a lot of people don't even understand because you can't really make content of it either because it's not really going to well, go anywhere. And also, like, I don't know what, like, it's like Chase, like, basically everything down in South Texas has a thorn on it. And when you're running through <laughs> that, yeah. like, you know, with, like, you know, in the brush, in the dark with, like, what are basically look like mini swords. Like, yeah. They're really, big, like, big bowie knives and stuff like that. Like, it just feels like a bad idea. Like, the whole time, I just... yeah. I've definitely like over the past few years, I've cut down on it, like just because like it just feels like a accident waiting to happen. It probably is. I think like, if you do it long enough, that somebody will get hurt for sure. 
especially as a guide, like going from all day hunting and then it's going hog hunting at night and then getting up in the, like, you know, it's just like, man, it's a long day. It's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> sounds exhausting. It's like, yeah, especially. So it's like, I try to like, I kind of like to, I always try to encourage like, Hey, like let's, let's focus on the deer. <laughs> How much are you involved in herd management? Um, I am basically the, um, I guess you can call me, I'm like the deer czar, like, you know, nothing, no deer gets shot without me. Like, Dude, that would be, I'm on, in charge. that would be on my guess, fucking business card. Yeah. I don't know why you didn't tell us that <laughs> deer czar. That's going in the yeah, title. That's, yeah, that's, that's my job. Like, you know, people ask me permission. Like I'm, I'm the final say usually on any particular buck and I'm definitely usually leading the, the management strategy on how many deer we're trying to kill and which, like, you know, which areas need population cut downs, like, you know, which need to be a little left alone and stuff like that. I think I, I don't, I, I probably missed it on the, uh, on the website. How many acres is the property? We are 10,000 okay. acres. So in 10,000 acres, just knowing what little bit of, I can recall from the, uh, the NDA class, like how you have, you know, a home range and then a core, like a core area. A home range can be tens of thousands of acres sometimes depending on the deer and where they're located. And then, you know, like a core area is much smaller. Do, do you find that even in, on your, your ranch that deer, you know, sort of have preferences and areas where they tend to stay and you don't, you see bucks in one area, but they never venture elsewhere. Or they kind of all over the place. So there's definitely well, one there's, there's the winter. There's definitely, I would call the summer range. Mm-hmm. And then there's like kind of the rest of the year range, I guess is what I'm, I'm not even going to say fall because like we don't have a fall. <laughs> yeah, like, fair enough. It's a, it's a lie. We have cold fronts. We don't even really have winter. We have summer and cold fronts. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But um, as far as ranges go, I definitely, I most bucks will stay within the same, I would say two to three. Like if you, I usually pick spots based on ponds. Part of our major, I'm going to step back here for a second. Part of our major management strategy is, is we, we try to have some type of water source every 250 acres at okay. the most 500 acres. And so I like to put those as kind of like central points. Right. And then I think most bucks will stay around, like they'll go to the same pond, at least on our property, like pretty regularly, at least 90% of the time. And so within a mile to two mile kind of range of that pond, most bucks, most deer in general, obviously I can't tell on those most of the time, but like, most bucks, I assume, will stay within that area. Now, there's always exceptions. I have seen, I've, I have seen deer. I've seen the same bucket like a spot like five miles apart from another. But in general, they stay within their their kind of I would call it one to two mile radius of their home turf. Nice. Now in the summer, it's almost like they kind of shift a few miles because I've seen deer that I know are like super reliable and steady in certain areas, and then I'll go sit at a spot in june or july and all of a sudden he shows up over there like kind of weird like so the summer they definitely have different ranges depending on the time of year and what they're doing and then obviously during the rut it's like who knows yeah (laughs) i don't really i actually personally don't even like hunting the rut that much because i think it just makes it a lot harder to hunt (laughs) in our place yeah do you guys see like i have no go ahead sorry no please i was gonna say like i because the rut is really hard for us to hunt because i just have one, we have so many deer that, like, I don't really feel like, like, people always say, like, go where the does are. Well, like, the does are everywhere. Like, <laughs> so they're, like, they're not, like, it doesn't, it doesn't, like, if anything, it spreads them out more. Understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, deer that I've been patterned pretty well for the last few months, and I know 
generally that they'll show up in this area if I go there enough. Like during the rut, they'll disappear and I have no idea where they'll go. So if I'm going for a certain year during the rut, it's actually a lot harder to find them. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyways, that's just kind of our particular situation. You, because of your such a, a long, you have, you have such long stretches of mild and, and, and hot weather, do you guys have more than one rut? Yes, we definitely do have, uh, the, there's kind of our, we have the December rut and we have a January rut. Okay. And so like, you know, mid to late, De- mid to late December is usually when we see our first rut. Mm-hmm. And then kind of, I would say whenever the rut starts in December, give it, four weeks later, like the does that didn't get bred the first time around. Yeah. It'll kind of be a secondary rut for them. Okay. Secondary rut is very, it's not like, it's not really that. Like, you know I mean? The first rut is definitely the one that's interesting. Right. Right. I don't, I don't usually, but I wouldn't say like, I know there's a secondary rut, but I don't ever really even think I'm hunting the secondary. Right. Yeah. It makes, it does make sense. It's not. Yeah. What months do you hunt there? So, we're technic- we're allowed to hunt from October until February. Nice. That's a good or range. Febu- well, yeah, February. So we have we get special permission from Texas Parks and Wildlife to where like you know we can hunt basically from I think it was October 1st or like that first weekend of October until the final weekend of February. And you'll sell out every weekend usually or you try to do it oh, only no, a couple no, of no. months. We we sell we're not like a full time like we, we sold we have four hunts sold this this year. Okay. Which is basically two weekends. Gotcha. Like, you know, we're not I guess one thing that I guess this may not be apparent, but we don't do that. This isn't our full time like occup, occupation or job. It's uh you know, we have real jobs and lives. Oh, okay. This is kind of a this is a side like not a side, it's a passion project, but it's also like the ranch is its own entity and yeah. it has to support itself it has to make money and so this is part of how we do it very interesting no it's not apparent it makes it seem like it's uh all deer all the time but i guess that's the point of social media right and obviously social media is such a snapshot of like not reality (laughs) like (laughs) it's because like i'm sure you you people people think we're like roman with big bucks like we are not like it's like it is, we do not have unlimited big deer. Like, you know, we couldn't, sh- we can't shoot 20 trophies a year. Like we're just not built that way. Yeah. We are not a, our deer density is one, not high enough to do that. Cause we are not a, we don't have food plots. We don't feed year round. Like, you know, this is, a, we have, we're a very like, you know, I guess you could say, I'm not going to, yeah. Like, you know, we're, we're pretty like, you know, low maintenance kind of natural, like what's it called operation. So do you live you know, there at the not, ranch or you just, you go there when it's needed? I know I go on uh, I go on weekends. I got you. I tr- I try to at least go two to three times a month, if not during the during the actual during December and January. I'll definitely take like you know I'll definitely go. What's it called? Uh, I'll go every weekend for sure, especially when the weather's good. But we do have we do have we do have full time employees out there as well though. But they're more they're not necessarily involved with the hunting operation. They're just involved with the upkeep of the ranch. Does the ranch do anything else other than sell the hunts? Because I see it's yeah, got we, really uh, nice, really nice uh, lodging in there. So we do uh, run about 150 to 200 head of cattle. Uh, okay. So the cattle, the cattle business is a uh, another important part of the ranch. And, um, but I mean, besides that, I mean, those are the two main, I guess you can say, income streams for for the ranch itself. 
That's awesome. So it's like a fun little, it's not, it's not stressful then. So you're not out there all the time stressing out. It's like you can actually go there and have a good time. Uh, I guess you can say that. I mean, it's a lot of, <laughs> it's, it's pretty much, I don't, it's constant fixing stuff. Like every, there's, if there's one rule out there. Everything's going to break Yeah, and it's never going to be convenient. Yeah. Right. Like that's like, just you know, um, life in general. I think I'd say, yeah, that's just it's one thing. Like, you know, sometimes it's hard to explain to people that like, like, you know, what'd you do this weekend? I'm like, I just fix stuff. Like, you know, like, you know, it doesn't feel like you, like, you know, it doesn't half the time you go out there, you don't feel like you accomplished anything because you just went out to either fix everything that was broken or like, and then everything new you add out there is another thing you have to check that needs to be like fixed later. Right. Yeah. Like one of our big improvements that we've done over the last three years is we've started installing a lot of solar water wells. For so the, like, you know, for the ponds? Yes, they're, well, yes, they're for the ponds. So, like, a little history on the ranch. Going back about 20, 30 years ago, we had a lot, we had a lot of natural gas and oil exploration out there. Mm. And so they, they would drill a lot of, like, you know, mainly natural gas, but, like, you know, they drill these natural gas wells, right? And I don't know how much you all know about that, but whenever you drill a natural gas well, you have to drill a, they drill a water well right next to it because they need water for the drilling of the well. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so they, you know, they, they drill these natural gas wells, years go by, they dry up, right? And so we realized that like, I'm going on, I'm looking on Google Maps and stuff and I'm like, hey, like throughout the ranch, we have several water wells that are just sitting there. Like, you know what I mean? There's no power to it. Like, they're just empty, they're just holes in the ground. And I'm like, hey, we can do something with this. And so we found this company that they create these uh, water, these, these well pumps that like run off of solar power. So like you, you drop it down there, you attach it to a few panels and boom, you have, you have water. And so that's part of like, you know, part of our management strategy is like, you know, we want to have as much water as we can on the ground, especially with how drought prone we are. Like that's what is going to help us stay alive, especially in these drought years is like having water. And so anyways, but my point is, is these things do break a lot though. Yeah. And they are a pain. They are a pain to fix. I will tell you that. What's nice so, is uh, you have free wells, basically. But yeah, that's the other thing is, is like, I mean, if you want to drill one of these wells from scratch, like you know, you're gonna be, you're gonna be running twenty, thirty thousand dollars, <laughs> and we just have like four or five of these just sitting there waiting to be used. And why not use them for so, deer? <laughs> Makes perfect right, sense. Exactly. No, exactly. And, and a lot of them were in areas where we didn't have good water coverage too, so they were like very like helpful. That's awesome. So I was watching uh, some of the videos you have on YouTube, and I was watching the uh, the bow hunt you did with that wide neck deer. That was a good video, but it was fun watching you pull back and then have to bring it back in and pull back and bring it back in. It's uh, that's one thing people understand about hunting is it, it, on film it all looks easy, but I'm glad you kept that in there. Those shots that you couldn't take because that's that's the one thing a lot of people don't realize is you'll pull back on a deer and you're not going to release every time. But I wanted to ask, how come you bow hunt? Because you say on the website several times, we don't recommend it because it's going to take you, uh, it's, it decreases your chances, but yet you chose to. Do you, why is that? Okay. So two, two things here. One, that's not me bow hunting. That's my brother. Oh, okay. I'm the, I'm the guy filming. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, that makes a lot more sense. And also, I will say the YouTube channel, again, that same brother who was shooting there, that's his, he runs the YouTube channel. I got you. He's the he's the master editor. I'm not as good at I'm I'm good at filming, but he's a much better. 
he's really good at he's really good at the long form like you know putting stuff together filming all that kind of stuff but anyway but i also will say i have bow i i have bow hunted before so i can't speak to, i have done it so anyways getting back to your original question though on why we don't bow hunt two things or not two things a couple things one we don't have any trees so all of our bow hunting has to be in ground blinds and I don't know if you've ever bow hunted in the ground blinds before, but it's pretty hard to get within that 20 to 30 yard range on the ground with a deer. Like, yeah. That is not an easy, like, I don't care where, like, I don't care where you are. That's not an easy thing to do. And, and so anyways, just getting back to kind of answer your question is, is, so like when you come and hunt with us, you get four, we get, we usually, we, you get four hunts, right? You get four sets. And I can pretty much like, if you, if you're hunting with a rifle, in four sets, I can give you a very, very high success rate on giving you an opportunity to get in front of the deer. Now, if we're bow hunting, it's just when you only have four hunts, I mean, it's just it's just not a huge room for error. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we don't really we don't make money unless a deer hits the ground. You know what I mean? So just from our point of view, it can be done. And if it's something you really want to do, you can do it. But like, it's just it's not a very like chances are low. I mean, this is not a. It's a real hunt. Like, you know what I mean? This isn't like, <laughs> I'm not like ringing a bell and it's not walking in here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. it's, uh, and some deer, that particular deer was a deer that, like, you know, obviously I've gotten a lot better at getting close to them through photography because it's kind of part of like, you get better photos when you get close to them. But just getting close to deer like that is just, it's just hard. And like, you know, over a four, over a three days, two night, four hunt span, like it just doesn't leave a lot of room for error. Now, if you were there a week, then yeah, I would totally say like, let's do it. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're going to get, you're going to get a chance at something, but man, just over four days, especially like if one of those days is not great weather, like you're just, your chances just go, go chances are too low. And so that's why we don't recommend it. It's not impossible. And obviously we were doing it for a video there. So, and that, that's the other thing is, is like what you don't see in that video is, is like, it probably took us like a week to actually get that video. Like, you know I mean? You don't really see the other hunts trying to get up. Like, you know, there were several times where we failed getting on him. For sure. So, so that's, I guess that's the answer to that question. What do you do for scent management for when people show up for a guided hunt? Um, so scent is not a super, like, it's not an ultra important thing in my opinion. Because most of the time we're either you're either in a box blind or you're in a pop up, and like your scent's going to be pretty much like it's it's going to be overtaken by that. Like you know, I mean, you're not like if you're you're not on the ground, like unless wind is super strong, but it's scent isn't super important. I guess what I can say like it's not a something I obviously don't wear cologne and like don't use <laughs> right, like, yeah. super smelly. It's kind of more like I wouldn't say like you, it's not so much getting rid of scent, just don't add it anymore if that makes any sense like if you want to something that we've had good that something we've had luck it with is when we when we make fires like you know the mesquite the mesquite smoke smell actually works pretty well as a scent mask or it's something that they're that doesn't like alarm them so like we'll hang or like camo or like jackets and stuff like on a tree next to the fire and like like get that kind of smoky smell yep that's what i do I usually have a the chair. I'll put the chair out there as the fire's dying. I'll throw my stuff on it, and the next morning it's nice yeah. and stinky, smoky. Yeah, but I don't put any real stock into like the the scent. Like you know, like this. Like I don't. I'm sure. It, I'm. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but I just don't think it's like. Well, I don't use it either. At least is my for, point. I use cover spray. 
But uh, I'm not really big into the scent management stuff. Gus is. Right. But it works well for and Gus. And then I've also, I guess some people use it like as attractants too, but I've never, I've never messed around with that because I've never been desperate. Like, you know, usually I can find deer. So mm-hmm. it's like, I've never been like, oh man, I'm not, I need, I need a new edge. So. Yeah. I think if you can Anyways. find deer, it's not a lot to worry about. Right. I haven't been pushed to try it, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. We ended up talking about doing a whiskey classes out there. That would be fun if we could ever get out there and uh, get to hang out and see the place yeah, and, no, and mean, uh, get paid for I'm, it at the same time. Yeah, that's that's the goal. I mean, I'm at, I'm working on a what's it called? Uh, we recently we had this new I don't really know what to call it, but the centerpiece that we just finally kind of cleared out that like we're trying to stock it up with uh, liquor and drinks, like you know, kind of have a really nice, uh, I guess, like drink cabinet. I don't really know what to call it to be honest. Like a so, bar. You know, I try to. Yeah, like a bar, but it's not really a bar, but it is a bar. Sure. You can say. Yeah. And so every time I go out, I try to bring something new out or just like start trying to grow it. If that makes any sense. It's the move, man. We tell everybody all the time that uh, as far as whiskey and whitetails go, there's not, not everybody that drinks whiskey is into hunting, but just about anybody that's into hunting is into whiskey. Yeah. That's a call to, unfortunately, I'm more, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the biggest liquor guy. I'm more of a, I'm more just drink beer, but like, Hey, I drink it's beer too. The, yeah, no, <laughs> but that's why it's it called the. I do want to like more just. I more want to just have it just to have it because I think it looks nice and I think it's a it's a good uh, showpiece and also entertainment piece. Yeah, like, you know, I know people do like. I know people do like whiskey and like to drink and stuff. And being able to have all that available is something I I want to have. And the after the hunt thing is where it comes in key. I see on your website oh. that you guys talk about at the in the evenings. It's uh, bonfire and cocktails. And it's like, that's what, that's what this company was started after was that exact moment. It's like bringing people together mm-hmm. after a hunt and talking about the hunt and learning lessons. What'd you learn? What'd you see? And just sharing some drinks together. It's, it's usually a pretty magical evening. And then you stay up too late and the next morning sucks, but it's all part of it. No, for sure. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I think, I don't know, I'm not going to pretend like this is unique to us, but I think part of the things that we try to like, if you're looking to come and shoot the biggest whitetail possible, like, you know, we're not the place for you. Like, that's not what we're like about, like, you know, we're not about getting you the biggest deer, like that's possible. Like, you know, we're more, we try to like, we're trying to push the experience of hunting in South Texas. Like, you know I mean? The food, like, you know, it's, like you say, like, you know, like, you know, we'll make you a Paloma, like, you know, we'll set out a fire out, like a mesquite fire out the, after the hunt and stuff like, yeah. you know, have you some authentic Mexican food, some Tex-Mex food, like good bar- Texas barbecue. Like it's more than just a, like, if you're going there just to shoot the biggest deer you can, like, I think you're missing half the point of being there. Right. hundred percent. Like, you know, you're, and I do know, like, you know, I, I have a few friends and like, you know, people I talk to in the industry and stuff and like, they'll have people come and like, as soon as they shoot the deer, they leave. Like, you know what I mean? Like they might've like paid for the weekend. But, like, if they get the deer on their first hunt, like, then they're off. Like, you know, they get back on their plane and they take off. Like, so that's not usually the type of client or hunter that we're trying to, we're trying to have, if that makes any sense. Like, that's not the, that's not the client we're trying to attract. Like, you know, we're trying to attract people who really want the experience. Makes perfect sense to us because we are, we do the same thing. We're, that, we're not trying to attract people right. that are just there for one thing or the other, but it's there for the long haul to experience everything that there is to experience. I think that's what life is, just stacking up experiences. How much do you have? And uh, I think a lot of people miss out on that stuff for one reason or another, but 
Yeah, that's the one reason I want to talk to you because I know that it's centered towards that just by looking at your website and what you guys offer. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So do you guys have to, um, I guess just my my business brain, I was thinking about the whole operation. When you have an operation like that, are there certain like licenses or accreditations or anything that you have to maintain to, to have something like that operating or just a business license or how does that work? Um, I mean, we obviously were registered as an LLC, like, you know, we have bank accounts. I mean, kind of all your typical like, yeah. business, we have, we have insurance, stuff like that. But I mean, as far as like the hunting goes, there's no particular, like, like, I don't have to go register with Texas parts and wildlife in order to sell hunts, I guess. Okay. What I'm like Good. that's, there's no, and yeah, yeah. obviously you have to follow all the rules. The hunters that come down, they have to buy Texas hunting licenses. Yeah. yeah. Kind of stuff. So like, okay. But as far as like being an outfitter, like I, there's no particular, um, I guess you can say, yeah, there's no yeah. licenses or anything okay. like that you need to get. <clears throat> I'm just curious. I know some States have, you know, have licenses and things like that, that you have to have or carry in order to be a guide or an outfitter. You have to, you know, have X amount of experience before you can do it, things like that. Wasn't sure if Texas had anything like that. Knowing Texas, you know, I I doubted that they had any of those requirements. You know, if if you can, if you got the money and you yeah, got the you got the land and make it happen, then make it happen. Yeah, you know, what's it called? And, and truthfully, like if anything, like you know, if they did try to do anything like that, like there's so like you know the amount all the landowners down here they fight it pretty hard. I. Oh yeah, I'm not against it. Like I wouldn't like it wouldn't be that big a deal to me, but I definitely know like they don't want any type of intrusion into what's it called their operations. Right. It's actually a really big deal right now. Like you know with the CWD. Oh yeah. What's it called? Yeah, like because I know of two people now who have basically had the like you know like deer breeders who were like you know if if a deer in their pens test positive, they have to kill all of them. Jesus. Well, the problem with that that we've seen yeah. by because we keep an eye on that stuff and because it's a big hot topic it comes up all the time. But with the CWD, because they're they're prions, they live in the dirt basically. So even if you kill everything, you can bring a fresh new herd in there and they'll they'll just pick it right back up. It's it's really hard to get rid of it. Oh yeah, I'm not I'm not as what's it called well versed on it as well as I should be. But we're actually just on the outside of a mandatory testing zone. You go, you, you go a few miles down the road and like in that area that they designate, if you shoot a deer over there, you have to take it in for sampling. Yeah. South Carolina, we're lucky in South Carolina right now. Fingers crossed. We, we don't have any counties that have any mandatory testing or, or any of that stuff going on. It's, it's in some States around us. So I, it's in North Carolina. I imagine it's just a matter of time, but uh, yeah, it's, it's something we keep a close it's, eye on. 
it's the same thing here. I mean, it's just a, it's it, we might not be in it this year, but we'll be in, like you know, I mean, it's coming. Yeah, it's going to be a, uh, and it's also it's going to be a very, I mean, we shoot anywhere from, we try to shoot anywhere from fifty to eighty deer a year. So like it's going to be it's going to be a huge, um, it's going to impact us just in our like time and like how we go about things, you know. How about EHD or, or blue tongue? You guys ever, you ever ever had that down there? Uh, I, I haven't heard anything about it, so I'm going to assume no. The deer here, I learned this, this weekend that, um, I was at a lottery hunt for the South Carolina wildlife management area, but I was talking to a wildlife biologist there and he was telling me that the deer in South Carolina are immune from EHD just because there's so I many mean, bugs yeah. and stuff here. They, they have the immunities for it. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. I'm sorry, I don't even know what that is. To be honest, EHD. That's a new one to me. It's epizootic, or epizootic. It's probably zootic, uh, hemorrhagic disease. But it's it makes them kind of like they call them like like zombie deer. Like they're just tired and walk around weird and um, ends up killing them. It's it's really interesting. It's because you don't have to deal with that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To say, I've always been curious about how Texas will. Because one thing I'm sure you know this is like Texas, like it's 95% like, you know, privately owned. Mm-hmm. Like there's very little like public. So, and then especially in our area, pretty much, even if you're like our ranch is about 90% high fenced right now. But like the thing is, even if your ranch isn't high fenced, your neighbors probably is. You know what I mean? So like there's a lot of like fence, there's, there's fences everywhere. Right? right. And so I wonder how like diseases like that, like, will spread like you know what i mean in a sense because like there is a lot of barrier in between like movement in between like herds and stuff like that i'm just curious what it w- i'm just curious like if that's like if that makes a difference or not i guess is what i'm trying to say like if that would like in a sense like slow it down or make it easier to quarantine versus like yeah trying to like other states and stuff where it isn't like like that i would think it would make it easier uh, to, to, to contain it yeah you know just because you have a physical barrier as long as they're not licking each other through the fence or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's in a way, like, I don't know, I could see it being, like, you know, in the future where, like, seed, because it's only going to become more of a problem. Like, like you know, in a way, like, people always associate high fences with, like, keeping their deer in. But, like, it could be more keeping other deer out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I never looked at it that way, but that's actually <laughs> probably a really keep good your, thing for you. Keep your sick deer on your side of the fence. <laughs> Eventually, I want to get into telling you, giving you a little bit more of a in detail history about the ranch. But like part of like and part of the reason we built the high fence all those years ago was for that, like you know, just more to keep our deer in. You but can like, definitely go deeper in the history if you want. That's easy. I'm, yeah. I'm more interested in where stuff comes from than uh, than anything. Right. I just I want to give you all the chance to ask all your questions. First, oh, like, oh yeah, yeah, no, please by no, all means ahead. tell us about the ranch, man. So the first hundred something acre, the first actually seventy eight acres was bought. I'm blank. I should have read it down, but basically in the sixties by my grandfather and basically throughout the entire, his whole life leading up until the mid nineties, like, you know, he just kept buying piece after piece until it kind of became what it is today. Right. About 10,000 acres. I think we had all 10,000 by, I want to say 92, 93. It was a, it was a cattle ranch. Like, you know what I mean? Seeing deer was like extremely rare. Like, if you saw more than one or two at a time, like that was like crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they helicoptered it. I want to say in 1994 or five, and they were counting like a deer per like 
50, 60 acres, like just something, nothing basically. Yeah. And so we kind of at the, and part of the reason it was like that was, is because there was very high hunting pressure there. Like a lot of the pieces that we were buying had hunting leases that, that came with them. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, like, and so like, you know, we had to honor them until they expired so many years later. Oh, damn. But like, and those guys would just come in and they would just like, you know, lay waste clean it out. <laughs> And then the biggest, not the biggest mistake, but one of the big mistakes we made was telling them that we weren't going to renew it. Yeah. And they, then they really went hard and just took everything out. Yeah. But so anyways, once all the hunting leases, once all the hunting leases expired in 1994, we started high fencing the ranch. And I think they finished about 90% of it in about probably two or three years later. But also the parts that weren't high fence for areas that we had agreements with people like basically where we promised them we wouldn't high fence it so that's why it's not 100 percent high fenced and um anyways and so that's why we did that and so from 1997 i think until 2005 we didn't shoot a single deer like you know i think we went 15 years without shooting a single deer wow oh wow just to let the population just like re like you know what i mean because it was just there was no deer there yeah and like we had to let it like you know start like, you know, replenishing itself. And so then 2006 comes around and we do a helicopter survey and all of a sudden we're at, we're sitting at like a deer per like five to 10 acres, like a really high density. And our biologist recommends to us that like, Hey, like y'all need to shoot a hundred deer. <laughs> and we're like, oh, oh shit. Like, okay. <laughs> and so like, that's kind of what started, like that was the first year we started hunting. And so that's kind of where like the hunting started. And so we do that for a couple, like, you know, over the next couple of years, like, you know, we're shooting like, you know, deer, we're shooting anywhere between 50 to hundred deer a year, still not seeing very nice deer, but like, you know, we're just like, you know, we're starting to like, but that's when we start shooting deer. That's when we start starting to cull out the genetics that we don't like, like actually starting to manage a little bit. And after a few years of doing that, then all of a sudden the triple drop shows up and we're like, Whoa, like, what is this? We did it right. So like, you know, the, we're like, okay, maybe something's going on. Like, you know, maybe something's going right here. And so triple drop shows up. We have two or three really good years after that. And um, then a really bad drought hits us in 2011. Like terrible drought. Like I wish I could show you pictures of what the ranch looked like. It looked like a freaking desert out there. And mm. we like basically any deer that was younger than like two and older than like five just like died. Oh, wow. Like, you know, just... And part of our problem was, is our water, our like, you know, we just, there was no food and no water. Our, our water, like, you know, our water, uh, what's it called? We just didn't have any water out. Like, you know, I mean, we were just very, we were very unprepared. We were doing good during good times. Like, you know, when there was adequate rain and like adequate food out. Yeah. But as soon as hard times came, like, you know, even with all of our, like, you know, management and like, you know, trying to keep the herd down, like we just, we lost everything pretty much. Like, you know, we were seeing like, you know, really nice deer then they all from from basically 2011 until 2016 2017 like i don't even know if i saw like a deer above 120 like just totally like nothing hmm. and that kind of i would say like after going through that drought especially it was so prolonged like kind of life started happening like you know i was in i was in middle school high school my brothers were a couple years like you know i mean my my dad at this point was running the ranch up until like through those years. Right. And like, life happens, like, you know, we're all like, you know, 
our former, like, you know, we kind of lose interest, right? And the ranch kind of suffers because of it. And so then, you know, 2016, 17, like, you know, I'm in high school and I kind of start to, I guess you can say, uh, regain interest. Mm -hmm. Like the big thing was, is me getting my driver's license so I could go out there on my own. Yeah. That'll like, do you know, it. I didn't have to, didn't have to catch a ride. And so like, you know, I started becoming more, um, I guess you can say I'm interested. We started having better years of rain. Like, you know, we restarted the management program and like, you know, we took it all the way until like, you know, 2019, which was in kind of, which is when officially triple drop ranch started in 2019. Nice. And that kind of, I kind of like, you know, I guess you can say tried revitalized it a little bit. Crazy how fast it'll go downhill if you're not taking care of it. Right. And kind of an interesting, if you want to get into my, the, probably the most unrelatable hunting, like origin story of all time, I'll, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so, so 2008, like during these good years, I shot my first buck. I was probably, I think I was nine years old, right? It was a big brute of a. 158 inch 11 point like didn't even know what it was like you know i just went with my dad pulled the trigger like kind of spoiled me to be honest like it kind of after shooting that and then especially during those bad you just kind of made the ranch not very fun because i'm like i didn't see anything good and then i because <laughs> i had this really big buck and to yeah. this day it's still the second largest buck i've ever shot wow. but like you know as i got older like you know again once i got into high school could drive i started kind of taking over the management responsibilities myself and stuff I got us re-enrolled into our MLD program and um, started shoot like, you know, started managing it. And so from about 2017 until maybe 2022, 2020, I mean, I probably shot myself like 100, 125 deer. Wow. Good like, Lord. Like I've shot more deer at 23 than most people will probably like ever shoot. <laughs> it sounds terrible, but I kind of like, I got burnt out like and so that's kind of when I started pivoting into photography the shooting part just is not like even to this day like like you'll probably laugh like I have deals with people that like I take out like friends of mine and stuff I'm like I will shoot I will clean anything you shoot if you shoot it like I just yeah. I don't want to be the trigger I just I'm tired of being the trigger man yeah like, I'm just like I've done too much of it it makes sense man yeah so going into 2020 like especially during that COVID year I was looking for something to like Cause I still love being out there and I wanted to continue the, like, you know, getting the ranch, like, you know, building into something I wanted it to be, but like, I need to find like a new spark to get me out there. And so like, I, I try, I did bow hunting for a little bit. Like it just didn't really, it just felt like more, it just felt like, it felt like more of the same, just closer. Yeah. yeah. You know I mean, I didn't really like it, what it didn't really do it for me. And then what's it called? Um, I'd always been like, you know, I always taking photos, like, you know, with my phone up to a pair of binoculars and stuff. And, if you go look at the very early days of the Instagram account, like the first six or seven months, that's all it was. Like, you know, just me with my phone and my binoculars, just posting photos and stuff like yeah. that. But then COVID hits. And so I'm, I have the opportunity to where like, I'm still in school at that point. I'm like, Hey, like, I don't actually need to be physically at school. Like I can do it from the ranch. Yeah. And so I got, I got a camera at the time. And then basically from October until January, I just like, I lived there. Nice. Like every day I'd go out, I'd take photos, like, and that really helped my photography skip. Like I basically got like three or four years worth of like practice and learning in three months yeah. because like I was able to do it every single day. Like I kind of like went on like a, 
it was a huge, it was really good timing and a really big advantage for me personally, just to have all that practice. Sure. And so, yeah, like COVID happened 2022, like I get a camera, I start learning how to do it. And then like, all of a sudden, like, you know, who would have thought you start taking better photographs and posting them on Instagram and then <laughs> people start liking them more. Like all of a sudden, like, like, I think I started the page in like January of 2020 and going into October of 2020, I had like two or 300 followers, like nothing like, right. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of that, by the end of that hunting season, I was at like 10, 15 K. Wow. Like all, it just, it just blew up out of nowhere. Like yeah. all of a sudden, like, like, you know, people, like, you know, people were really liking my stuff and like, what really got interesting was, is like other photographers like Dom, like, you know, started messaging me and sure. kind of like ask, like, you know, and in a way, like I got exposed to a world I didn't really know. Like sure. I didn't really know photography and stuff and getting to talk to people like them. They like, they made me a lot better. And like, you know, it's kind of just become like this thing that like I do and like, and it's turned into a thing where like, it's just something I love doing. There's a few people I remember who I always say, like, you're, you all were part of the original 100 or like the first 100. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, because there were a few people who were like actually like pretty, like, you notice people a lot more when you're that small. And so, like, when someone comments, you like remember them. Of course. For sure. And so, yeah, like, I, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a really crazy how that just people, I, it's kind of a running joke because like, I was like the anti, not the not anti social media, but like I was. People always call me a ghost, like because my personal socials are just like terrible. Like you know, I mean, I was the guy who didn't like get on Instagram until I was like twenty, or like make a Twitter until I was like af after high school. Like I just didn't do social. I didn't get it. I didn't do it. <laughs> like you know, I just didn't understand it. And now I'm the like social media guru. Apparently, like, <laughs> kind of funny how that's like. Like no one would have guessed I would be the guy with like who runs the page with like tens of thousands of followers. Yeah. We, uh, I've ever posted anything. If I do anything social, like it's only for whiskey and white tails. So I yeah. feel you there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, you can still go to my personal socials. They're still very dry. Like I don't think I've posted anything on them in a few years now. Like it's just not something that it's not for me personally, I guess you can say, even though right. it starts to feel like the more longer it goes, like the more I do feel like entwined with the personality of the ranch, but, still it's, it's it's kind of funny how that ended up working out well we love the content and we like reposting it and we like seeing it so good job on that and that was one of the reasons we wanted to have you on was to talk with that and i, I know you're shooting a canon what kind of lenses are you running these days so i'm i'm using right now uh it's a ef 400 millimeter f4 wow that's good for low it's light tank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's actually um so like the, I, I use a Canon EOS R6, which is like a mirrorless camera. Mm -hmm. I don't know how well you know Canon or not, but like we have Sony the, mirrorless ones around here, right? So I'm I'm sure you know like the mirrorless versus like a DLSR. They're two different types of lenses. Yep. Mm -hmm. Huge difference, right? So my lens, I have a mirrorless camera, but I have a DSLR lens, so I have to use a converge a converter mm -hmm. or an adapter. And then like the lens I have, like you know, we got it a year or two ago, like. It's like a, it's like a generation one, like used, like it's a great lens, but like, it's definitely like tech, not technology. There's a lot more better available technology out there. And maybe one of these days I'll, I'll splurge on something like that. But like, yeah, you definitely need those low, like, you know, low aperture, low light lenses. Yeah. Almost everything we shoot is a 
we do everything kind of up close, but it's it's a one point f one point four, and it's uh, you can damn near see in the dark with that thing. And if they made a long, if they made a long lens with that low, I'd probably t- I know it'd be th- probably ten grand, but I'd be pretty tempted to get to <laughs> one up, <laughs> mainly for for oh, deer hunting. I've looked at some of like they have like the, it's like an f two point eight that's like a four hundred millimeter or something that it's like my dream lens, but man, they're like twelve grand, but yeah. But like, well, I could do some really cool stuff with that. Yeah, that's where most of the deer stuff is. I mean, you you have a lot during daylight, but the average Joe, we're not seeing much until right at those dusk and dawn hours. But yeah, man. So we talked in the beginning about how they can find the ranch. And then I guess we you want to plug your socials and any information that people should know about it. Yeah, I mean, if what's it called on all of our socials here, like. Basically, we're on Instagram, YouTube, uh, TikTok, basically all the above. All the handles are the same, at triple drop underscore ranch, at triple underscore drop underscore ranch. Same handle for all socials, so no matter what you search us on, if you look for that, you'll find us. Nice. Perfect. And and, uh, as far as hunts go, I mean, if you want to reach out to us, our business email is at info at triple drop ranch.com. Um, we're, we're currently booked for this season, but if you want to come and hunt with us, we usually release our hunting date, our hunting, our future hunting dates after the current season. So if you want to reach out to us around January, to February, like, you know, we'll be beginning booking for next year. And I saw you guys had a photography section as well. That's, a that's what's it called. We have, we have not officially ever done it yet. It's something that we want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we, we like the idea one of the goals of the ranches and it's like, you know, it's kind of like I talked with you all, we want to expand it beyond hunting because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, hunting is one or two months out of the year. Right. Yeah. And like, I feel like there's a lot more the ranch has to offer. And so one of the things that a goal of ours is to do and stuff is like, we want to host like, you know, photography workshops or even just like, Hey, if you want to like, I'm sure like, you know, finding white tailed deer to photograph is not easy to do. And if you're looking for somewhere where you want to do that, that's again something that we want to have available as a service to people like a place you can go to do things like that and so again like you know it hasn't materialized yet but it's something that we're st- we're going to be pushing in the future and stuff and hopefully maybe we can do something with it we appreciate you uh giving the time to talk to us man and yeah, come, giving you. us all this knowledge on the ranch and it's very cool to learn i appreciate y'all having me and we'll have to find a way to have y'all down one of these days all right, man. Thanks for giving us the time. We're uh, going to hop off here and then go and make some dinner, I believe. Sounds good. Good talking to you all. All right. right. You too. Thanks, man.